I think another limiting belief is their, uh, their place is going to get worn out from so many people going in and out. But I feel the opposite in my experience. My places are getting cleaned professionally two, sometimes three times a week where as my long-term rentals, they're in there doing God knows what until next year. And they may be renting from me for 10 years before I know what's going on in there. So I like that somebody's in there and checking things out a few times a week. I'm Neil. And I'm Brittany. We are a family on a journey towards financial and location independence. Each week, we interview successful real estate entrepreneurs about their chosen investment strategy and rate it based on how much money it took to get started, how long it took to educate themselves, how passive it is, and whether or not they could do it from anywhere in the world. Welcome to the Road to Family Freedom. If you like our show, the easiest way for you to give back is to leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Head on over to roadtofamilyfreedom.com slash review for links and instructions on how to do that. We would be so grateful. All right, enough out of us. Let's hit the road to family freedom. Hey guys, Neil here. Uh, Before we get to this week's show, I want to make you an offer. You can do a video chat with me. It's completely free. There's no pitch. This is not a sales pitch. I don't have any kind of a mentoring program. I'm not selling anything. This is literally just a way for me to connect with other real estate investors and being a working, uh, working dad with, uh, a son at home. This is much easier for me to do than trying to go to a couple of real estate meetups a week. So again, if you're interested, anything you want to talk about, if you're an experienced investor, a brand new investor, we can talk about anything and everything you want to talk about with uh, real estate investing. Just go to roadtofamilyfreedom.com slash connect and uh, fill out the, the form there to schedule a call. And I look forward to speaking with you. So let's get to the show. Greetings, friends and families. I'm Neil. And I'm Brittany. You're listening to the Road to Family Freedom podcast. Our guest this week is a top 1% agent and vacation rental expert. She got her start with one short-term rental, quickly scaled that into five, and has now used the cash flow from those rentals to build a portfolio of 18 long-term rental units. Avery Carl, welcome to the Road to Family Freedom. Hey, guys. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's good to good to chat with you again. Yeah. So... Do you recall an aha moment for you when it came to buying a short-term rental? Was there any point where you're like, all right, I'm going to do this? Well, it's a little bit of a long story, but uh, I was working a corporate job, much like I think a lot of people who get into real estate investing, and I got passed over for a promotion, and it was a small company, so the next one wasn't going to come around for a few years, and I just felt kind of trapped waiting for one manager to bestow upon me a $10,000 raise for, you know, my email sending abilities. So uh, my husband and I started thinking about buying a, uh, a rental property or two. It was supposed to just be a, maybe a retirement fund. It never, we didn't start with the intention of growing to this size. Uh, we lived in Nashville at the time and we bought, a property straight off the MLS. We had no idea what we were doing. We didn't know anybody who did who did any sort of real estate investing. Uh, it was a long-term property. My husband sold his 66 El Camino with flames on it for half the down payment. And I put us on a, each on a $20 a day budget for several months to save up the other half to get it. And that was a long-term rental. And after we got our first rent check on that one, we were like, oh, wow, we need some more of these. And... Nashville was getting too expensive to be able to make any money. It was, so we started thinking, okay, well, maybe we should do a vacation rental, but the regulations in Nashville were already getting a little scary for us for a short term rental. So, uh, we went over to the Smoky Mountains about three hours east of Nashville because I grew up going there and knew that was a place that people, they rent cabins overnight all the time. And so I, I felt like that would be a nice, safe place to invest. We wouldn't have to worry about uh, regulations and the prices were cheaper. So we bought one again, had no idea what we were doing. And that one, we were terrified <laughs> to be honest until we got our first booking. But as soon as we got that listing up, it, it booked up immediately. And then when we saw that bank account starting to grow, we said, okay, well, we're going to go all in on this and, and grow this thing. And then it only took about a year to roll it into to five. Uh, we used 10% down vacation home loans on the first one. It's what a 
a lot of people don't realize that you can use that for an air, a property that you're going to Airbnb because you can't do that if you're going to have a lease or any sort of a contract on the property. So that was kind of our hack to get into. So talk to us about that first short-term rental. What did you pur- purchase that property for and how much money did you have to bring into the deal all in? Okay. We purchased that property. It was a two-two or in the mountains, uh, an, a loft bedroom counts as a bedroom if, if it's able to be used as one, even though it's open. So it's a one bedroom with an open loft bedroom. We got that for 175 This was back when prices were rock bottom in the Smokies. You can't really get anything for that anymore, but it seemed like a lot of money to us at the time. So we put, we put the 10% down vacation home loan and that property had been sitting on the market for a while. It had been a long-term renter. And the the tenants that had lived there, I don't think they slept the entire time they lived there. Oh, they smoked in it. Uh, the furniture came with it, but it was all trashed and needed to go. They had tarps nailed over the beautiful cathedral windows because it was making them hot. So it was definitely not a property that I think a lot of investors who maybe had more capital and were more ready to get something than we were would have gotten, but we saw the potential in it. And so we brought the 10% and then uh, spent probably $3,000 just getting it nice and clean and, and ready to be rented by people. And does that include um, the rehab and the furnishings as well? Yeah, we were able to salvage a few items. of Like they had some really nice log bed frames because it had been a short-term rental a few years prior before they had the long-term renter move in. The seller was a really old, in poor health, out-of-state owner. So I think he just didn't want to deal with property management anymore and and got the long-term rental in there. So we were able to salvage some of the furniture. We did have to buy a new living room set and some kitchen items. But we were able to salvage some. So it wasn't as much as it could have been. Gotcha. And then, so you're all in for, let's call it 21000 Right around there. Okay. And that's, it operates as a 2-2 two, two, or it operates as a 3-2? It operates as a 2-2. Two, two. Okay, gotcha. And you still have that property, correct? Yes, we still do. It's still doing doing great for us. It's one of our highest performers. And, wh- and what, uh, and you said it was rock bottom, so we're talking time frame 2012, 2013? Actually, it was 2016. So since this market is all vacation homes and second homes, it took much longer for it to recover, as as many vacation rental cities did. It took a lot longer for it to recover from the crash because it's not a city where there are a lot of jobs, where there are a lot of people moving in. It is solely tourism. So there wasn't a lot of that forced home buying like there were in other metro areas where people were moving for jobs. So this was, it takes longer for vacation rental markets to recover in that instance. Gotcha. Now, I've heard you in the past talk about using a HELOC to purchase that first property. Was that part of the strategy? Did you use a HELOC to buy this first rental, uh, short-term rental, or was that with the long-term rental? We actually used the HELOC on the second short-term rental. So our first one, we did that 10% vacation home loan in my husband's name. The second one, we did it in my name only. I think the regulations are a little stricter now so that you can't alternate husband and wife like that, but you might... People might be able to find a lender who will do it. Uh, but on the second one that was in my name, we did utilize a HELOC on our primary for that down payment. Gotcha. Any, you know, any tips for navigating that lender game there with HELOCs and down payments? Sometimes some lenders are friendly to it. Others are not, you know, any tips on that? Uh, yeah. So we used a local credit union for the HELOC. They didn't ask us what we planned to use it for. So we just didn't tell them. And then we used a local bank, uh, local to the Smoky Mountain short term market that, that works with this kind of stuff all the time. They knew it was coming from a HELOC, obviously, because they would have to know where all your money's coming from. And they were totally fine with it. But we just, you know, the credit union didn't ask what the HELOC was going to and we didn't tell them. And now that you were you work with, uh, I know that you work with clients on purchasing homes. Have you helped any other clients sort of navigate that process? Yeah, yeah. I've had a few that have taken out a HELOC 
on another property so that they can put a down payment on their short-term rental. It's a, it's a really good strategy. I like it a lot better than like a cash-out refi because you can pay the HELOC back and use it again if you need it, whereas a cash-out refi is once and you're done. So I think it's, it's a really awesome strategy to, to help you scale. I have a question about that first short-term rental. A property like that that's a little bit distressed, more of a fixer-upper, what would that go for now, do you think, in that market? That property I could probably sell for 275 to 300 I didn't make any major upgrades to it. It still has the same floor, same finishes. I just upgraded the furniture a little bit, and now it has a nice rental history, but I, I could probably get 275 or three for it. All right. So you've now furnished several of these. Do you have any tips for furnishing a short-term rental? Actually, in so now I have six. I'm about to close on one in Destin, Florida, but most properties that are in vacation rental markets are going to come furnished. So I haven't actually had to spend very much at all on furniture over the years. They come with most everything. I I have a certain couch and love seat or couch and recliner set that I like to put in there just because they have really good warranties and they're really durable. But other than that, I haven't really had to do much furniture wise. Oh, it's interesting. I I, I, uh, had not thought of that, that (laughs) when when you're buying in a a very common vacation rental market that a lot of them are all going to be furnished. So Yeah, that's nice. makes it a little bit more turnkey as long as it's not <laughs> gross. <Yeah. laughs> right. <laughs> right. Are there any uh, furnishings that you feel like you must have that, that people sometimes forget in short-term vacation rentals? In my market, you have to have a hot tub uh, that's not furniture, but every now and then you'll run into one that doesn't come with it. And you really do. You don't, you're not going to make more money Mm -hmm. because you have a hot tub. It's just going to put you, all your competition has hot tubs. It's going to put you up to par with the rest of them. That makes sense. Gotcha. So a lot of long-term rental owners, a lot of times will stay away from pools because of the liability involved and just the maintenance. How do you, how do you navigate that with short-term rentals? I'm glad you asked. My, my new property in Destin has a pool, so I've, that's fresh on my mind because I've just been working on all those numbers. So all of my properties in the Smokies have hot tubs, and the way that it works in that market is all of the cleaners and well, all the cleaners as part of their cleaning fee, and it's also a state law that it has to be drained, sanitized, and refilled between each guest. So the cleaners do that in between each guest, and they make sure that the chemicals are what they need to be when they leave. So we're really lucky in this market that it's not any extra expense for the hot tubs. The pools are roughly 175 to 200 bucks a month to maintain. Uh, you just have the pool company will come by either in between the guests or a set number of times a month and just check the chemicals and clean it, make sure everything is the way that it needs to be. And then, Insurance wise, are you using specific, are using, you're using a specific um, short term rental insurance? Yes. Yeah, there, there are a lot more options now for that than when we started. Uh, proper is still the front runner. They're yeah. also the most expensive. Uh, CBIZ, foremost. I, somebody told me recently, I haven't looked into it, that USAA has a new, pretty affordable short term rental policy. But proper so far seems to be the most well thought out like they even cover you for lost income due to having to shut down for a couple get a couple days to remediate bed bugs oh nice so, yeah but again they are the most expensive they cover the most to kind of make sense yeah <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah we've got we've got proper with our short-term rental as well and we've been very happy with them but we really have not we did not really shop around for it at all it was basically just we went out and asked and and they at the time they responded and and uh, that's what we went with. But uh, so, so you brought it up. Have you ever had a bed bug issue? Yes, <laughs> on my first property I did, and it was it was because I was uneducated about it. To be honest, uh, I lived in New York for a while, and they you know in New York they make you think that you have to burn down the entire block if a bed bug is found. <laughs> but uh, so we didn't know <laughs> we didn't know any better. And there the best way to prevent them is these zip zip up mattress encasements that encase the entire mattress it's not just like a topper we didn't know about those they're like 45 bucks we could have easily prevented it and uh but now we do (laughs) and uh it took 
I think we had to shut down for two days to get the heat treatment and we've never had a problem again now that we take the preventative measures. Awesome. They just like those mattresses. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you don't realize how easy it is to get <laughs> to get them. I mean, people can get them from the airport. You get they're I mean, it's it's kind of gross when you think about it. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I don't think it's a as big of an issue here because it's so dry. Yeah, here. I don't know. Or are we just lucky? Yeah, we, we just dodged the bullet <laughs> so far. I don't know. <laughs> knock, on wood now, knock on wood now. <laughs> and then uh, you have not had an issue since you started using the, the mattress encasements? No, not one. Okay. And right. I'm hypervigilant about it now, too. So uh, we've been, been lucky there, too. So mattress encasements are the number one thing to remember <laughs> with yeah. short-term yeah. rentals. We have one. I think yeah, we, we do. Yeah. We've I don't remember while, how we so. knew. <laughs> Someone told us. (laughs) I think actually we did it because we have a child. And when we started furnishing that, we had a child. And so you just think more about things. Right. (laughs) Getting on (laughs) the mattress. mattress, So, but yeah, it's fortunate that we already did that. I've also recently, I was listening to a podcast and I didn't even think about it. They have encasements for pillows also that now I'm like, and we're ready for new pillows. I'm like, <laughs> we'll be adding those because just never thought about it. <laughs> no one said anything either. <laughs> yeah. I had heard a, a podcast recently where they talked about, I think they, they exclusive this entire podcast talked about linens and bedding for short-term rentals. And one of the interesting things that I thought that they brought up that to me would be a challenge when you have properties that have different kinds of beds. They have a king size bed, queen size bed, and and uh, and maybe a single or a full, whatever. When the cleaning people pull those linens off, it can become very difficult to distinguish from, you know, which, which linens go with which bed. Is there anything you do to kind of uh, help the cleaner with that? Yes. Yeah, so we have a mix of kings and queens, and we will have all the kings be white sheets and all the queens be like a khaki or off-white so that that helps them a little bit. Makes sense. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. So the gross income for short-term rentals are typically obviously going to be significantly higher than long-term rentals, at least you would hope so. And the rule of thumb with long-term rentals is typically 50% of your gross income is going to go towards expenses, not including your debt service, your mortgage. Do you have any kind of a rule of thumb that you use to kind of evaluate a property for, for what your expense ratio is going to be? So we look for at least a 15% cash on cash return. Uh, we do do quite a bit better than that with all of our properties in the Smokies, and I'll report back on on how I do with the Destin property, but based on all my research and data, it should be able to hit well over that as well. But are there any kind of expenses that, you know, a new owner typically doesn't necessarily think about? I think a lot of times they don't think about restocking fees. And one thing that I kind of want to point out is there's a lot of discussion about what gross income means with short-term rentals. Some people say, oh, you, you can't include the cleaning fees or you can't include this or that. To me, and I think also junior high vocabulary class, gross means all money's coming in. Yeah, You're also getting taxed on the gross, which includes your your cleaning fees from Airbnb and VRBO. And we charge our guests a higher dollar amount for the cleaning fee than what our cleaning fee actually is. And we take that difference and put it towards our restocking. So there's extra income there, but to answer your question, a lot of people don't think about restocking their paper products and things like that, but we use a little extra on the cleaning fee to, to put that towards. Yeah, we do the same. It seems like a no-brainer to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, what do you, do you have any, well, we've talked about cleaning. What are some of the other key team members for short-term rentals that are important? Handy people are very important. Your cleaners are going to be able to do some small maintenance items like changing air filters and light bulbs and stuff like that. But for when a toilet starts leaking or a refrigerator door breaks or anything like that, several good handy people are are good to have. So for us, we'll call our, our favorite one first. And if he can't get there, then we'll just move on down the line until we get somebody who can go immediately. 
Are there any other tools um, or anything that you use to sort of leverage your time? We know that you're a fairly new-ish mom. You said 18 months, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We use IGMS as a channel manager. I think a lot of people are pretty familiar with that. And it automatically sends a lot of the emails or messages across Airbnb that need to get sent for every client, like, or every guest, like, oh, hey, thanks for booking. And then we send another one the day before they check in that says, hey, here's your check-in instructions. Here's the direction. Another one the day before they check out that says, here's your check-out instructions. So that helps us automate a lot of the FAQs by just answering a lot of questions in those automated templates before the guests ask them. So that way we don't have to stop and look at our phone and answer it unless they ask something really specific. We also use a Google Calendar to schedule our cleaner so that it automatically when someone check, when someone books, it automatically shows up on her Google Calendar that she needs to clean that day. Uh, do you use Turnover B&B? No, we don't. Uh, a lot of cleaners do. Our particular cleaner didn't really like it, so we just switched to Google Calendar. It works roughly the same. Gotcha. So they're able to, they're basically, they're automatically sent a notification that there's a, a new a new booking and that they need to clean this day. Yeah, yeah, and Turnover B&B is a great app. A lot of people have a lot of really, have a lot of success with it, but our particular cleaner just didn't like it that much. (laughs) Gotcha. And are you, uh, you pretty much just have one single cleaner there in the Smokies? We have two. So, and I think this will be pretty true of any vacation rental market where there's a lot of traffic in the high season. So the cleaners out here will kind of stick to their little district because, in the summertime, they might be turning over four or five cabins in one 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. period. And if they have to get on the parkway, it can take three hours to get somewhere. So they stick to their district so that they don't have to cross the parkway in the high season. So we have two. We've got one for each little area that our cabins are in. Gotcha. So when you, you know, in the past, when we've talked to a lot of mom and pop vacation rental owners, a lot of them will talk to you mostly about, oh, you know, we're 90% occupied. We're 95% occupied year round where we're more on the sort of revenue management side. Are there any tools or tips that you sort of uh, lead your clients towards how to sort of to tackle that revenue management over occupancy management? Everybody values those metrics differently, I think. For example, I, I have a lot of clients that will say, oh, how booked will this stay? And then I have a lot of clients that say, oh, how much money will this make? So I think it's more about what makes them feel comfortable in their own mind. Do they feel more comfortable with a lot of book dates at lower prices? Or do they feel more comfortable with not as many book dates, but they're getting X amount per night? So it's kind of hard to say because everybody's brain works a little different. All right. So you purchased a couple of your properties with partners. How did you structure your partnership on on those um, short-term rentals? Did you have like an LLC? Um, Did you guys go 50-50? Yeah. So that's a great question. So uh, we partnered on two of ours to start out with a friend of ours because we didn't have a lot of capital. We were capital low, but uh, we were willing to put in the sweat equity. So another friend of ours who owns a lot of condos in Fiesta Key, Florida. We partnered with him. He put the down payment and then we do the management and then we split everything 50-50. Do you take any sort of a management fee or are you just splitting the cash flow 50-50? We split the cash flow 50-50 and then we uh, also have, we split the equity 50-50. And we, that's been a, that was a conventional loan, but we do have a side legal agreement that lays everything out all the terms. Gotcha. So it's not, the property's not in an LLC. You just have it. It's in his name, but you've got a side, you know, a side legal agreement uh, that you drafted with a lawyer, correct? Correct. And then do you are, you know, you're now, you have six properties, correct? Yeah, we had six short terms. One of them's not on the market yet. And then uh, 18 long. Gotcha. And then do you, are you operating with any kind of an LLC on your short-term rentals or is it all just, uh, they're just, there's no LLC? No LLC. And that's because we are trying to max out our conventional loans first. So we could do 10 each. Mm-hmm. So my husband is out of his 10. We're working on my 10 now. 
So we've just got a lot of insurance. At some point, we probably will convert that stuff to an LLC. But right now, we're just trying to max out our, our more affordable money while we can. Gotcha. Gotcha. It makes sense. What has been the most hair-pulling, frustrating thing about being a short-term rental owner for you? Nothing is too terrible. Every now and then, you'll just get some guests that it doesn't matter if they were renting a palace from you. They would not be happy. So that's a little annoying. It just makes you feel like, oh my gosh, people kind of suck when you've been over backwards for them and you've given them a discount or, you know, what, whatever you've done for them, it could be any number of things. And they still are unhappy for some really dumb reason that, that can get a little grating. To kind of follow that up, do you, what are some, you know, sort of big lessons that you've had to learn in this market that have been really helpful for you? You can tell very quickly, even before a guest actually books, if they're going to be somebody that's going to be a problem like if they're asking a lot of questions that are clearly stated in the uh, listing, then you can tell that, okay, these people don't read. They're probably not going to listen. They're probably, you know, not going to follow the checkout instructions. But you can tell if they're, they're being high maintenance up front, they're going to be high maintenance the whole time. That's been pretty much our experience as well. And, and it doesn't, it's not all always awful. It's mainly just kind of like a lot of handholding. Yeah. I think it's the the ones that are polite about it and ask a lot of questions. I, we're fine with. There's a few people that have been a little bit pushy and, and they've been fine. They've ended up being fine, but they're definitely, it was a little bit more like, uh, is this going to be a problem? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I agree. We had one, uh, we had a really bad storm in our market a, a few weeks ago. And there were like 300 power outages and we just checked in because we knew the power was out and said, Hey, let us know if you need any recommendations or help. And they said, well, some food would be nice. (laughs) 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 If you want us to bring you food. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, we don't do that. It's not, it's not a bed. It's not a bed and breakfast. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You're you're responsible. (laughs) Yeah. And it wasn't a snowstorm. They could have, gotten in their car and driven to one of the many wonderful restaurants right around the corner. So you're, you've been very much in the uh, Smoky Mountain market, and now you're expanding into the Destin, Florida market. What, I know you're only just starting off there in that market, but what are you noticing are the main differences between that sort of mountain cabin market versus the beach market? Uh, Specialty insurance is one of them. You don't really need anything special I mean, besides the obvious short-term rental and liability insurance, you don't need too much extra in the Smokies. In Florida, you've got wind. Uh, our particular unit isn't going to have flood because it's two blocks off the beach. But the the insurance is definitely going to differ market to market. So that's definitely been the biggest difference. Gotcha. Is it something that you can account for with your, your rates that's easily? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So you have, you know, I, one of the things I love about your strategy is that you are, you're essentially rolling your, you're buying these short-term rentals, which are very high cash flow, but you're rolling those short, short-term rental cash flow into longer-term rentals. Can you talk to us a little bit more about what that strategy entails? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So our other, the other rentals in our portfolio are, we have two, I would say, B-plus class long-term rentals and the rest are low income. And the strategy behind that is, so we have the side of our portfolio that is based on tourism and, you know, good economic times and people being able to afford going on vacation, even though I think we've chosen markets that are a cheap enough vacation that they're not going to be incredibly affected in a downturn. But our, the other half of our portfolio is everybody's always going to need a $500 place to live no matter what the economic circumstances are in the country. So that's why we went with the the low-income ones, because we're cash flowing on them great as they are. But that's something that's never going to go away, the need for that. So we feel really comfortable being, you know, having both sides of that coin. We've had a couple other investors that we've talked to that started out with a lower-income property and had a lot of problems with, upkeep and turnover and sort of in that vein. Have you experienced that with, with your properties? Not 
too bad. No, we we have a little bit of a problem with the tenants that we inherit from the mm-hmm. seller that we didn't pick. We've had an eviction or two now from that, but my husband is really, really good at weeding out the tenants that are going to be problems, just like he is with the short-term rentals, the ones who are who are going to be high maintenance up front. So all of the the tenants that we have in our low income ones have been lovely. They take really great care of everything. They pay on time. So it's just kind of like with anything, you just have to, you know, do your research on people. And you mentioned your husband. Is he self? Are you guys self managing? Yes, we are self managing those as well. Okay. And what market are those in? Those, we have two in Nashville, but the rest those are the B plus ones. The uh, low incomes are in Chattanooga. Chattanooga. Okay. And then how are you, are you, are you buying properties that are distressed and you have to rehab or are you buying them right off the MLS ready to go? Uh, a little bit of both. Some of them, like we've had a couple of duplexes where one side was rented and we're happy with that number. And the other side, we ended up having to evict. So we went ahead and rehabbed it, but we haven't bought anything with the intention of, okay, we're going to rehab this tomorrow and then rent it. Well, maybe one. So we're just, looking for the numbers to work. We don't really care if it needs work or, or if it's ready to go. If it's ready to go, great. And I don't want to be bothered with work if I don't have to. But if it's gonna if it's gonna make the numbers work better, then of course I'll do it. But uh, so anyway, a mix. Now when you got your start in short term rentals, is there anything that you had to learn to do that you think really um, has set you up to be successful? Uh, really just learning to be super adaptable and roll with the punches. We used to take it, you know, really seriously and personally if something went wrong with a guest, which it doesn't happen often, but it does happen. And it's it's really just taught us to, you know, take things with a grain of salt, figure out a way to solve it and move on and just don't dwell on things. Are there any books that you would recommend that you feel like have been really helpful for you? Not that are short-term rental specific uh i really like the book the obstacle is the way that book's awesome it just kind of to what i just said it's it's by ryan holiday by the way but to the point that i just made it just kind of helps you put into perspective okay not getting emotionally involved in what's going on this is the situation and this is how i fix it and that's the end of it and just kind of teaches you to not not get emotionally caught up in things awesome you might be the first person who hasn't cited Rich Dad, Poor Dad. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> I do love that one too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, usually we're just talking general real estate and we might ask about that. And that's, I don't, I really don't think anyone has ever said anything else. Obviously we were kind of more coming at it from a different angle, but yeah, it's yeah. funny. Yeah. Well, Cashflow Quadrant, I think is my favorite of Kiyosaki's. Mm-hmm. I agree. And I think it's more because, you know, Rich Dad, Poor Dad is a great book, but it's really just mindset. And, and so Cashflow Quadrant is as well, but I think it's actually a little bit more, a little bit more nuts and bolts. Yeah, I agree. So is the goal, are you just going to keep rolling this income into long-term rentals? I mean, are, are there any loans on any of these long-term rentals? Are you buying them? There are, are you, loans. Uh, yeah, there are loans on most of them. And I mean, the long terms are, are relatively low price. So at some point we might, might start paying off a few of those, but I would rather before we start paying anything off, get to a point where I'm happy with the, the total cash flow as it stands with the loans. And then, you know, then we can start paying things off, but I'd rather scale first. Gotcha. And then are you any plans for investing passively in like real estate syndications, large multifamily, self-storage, anything like that? I think it's definitely time for us to take the plunge into multi and step out of our comfort zone because it is very comfortable with just these little down payments for these little duplexes and singles going out. But it's, I mean, we're at 24 doors total now. So I think it's time to maybe make some some big girl steps. But (laughs) You know, and I'm open to any suggestions, but I haven't found any syndications where they don't want you to take their $25,000 course first and then you're allowed to give them your money. Oh, Uh, yeah. I just, no, no. Yeah. We we can direct you to several (laughs) (laughs) people who are, are, are 
nice. Yeah. <laughs> who, who are yeah, not yeah, like weird guru people. That sounds yeah, like a, yeah, a guru weird. scam. So yeah, no, they're. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. I've had a few of, I've been approached by a few of those and I, I'd love to learn, but I don't, for 25,000, I can go buy another single family and make money. <laughs> no, <laughs> for 25,000, $25,000, you know, should be your 25 to $50,000 should be your investment that pays you money on it. it should not, there should not be anything on top of that. That's your investment and they'll pay your return on that money. And then hopefully equity down the road. So uh, yeah, stay away right, from right. people. If you're listening, stay away from syndicators that want you to take a course for the, before they'll let you invest with them. That's no, no, <laughs> no. If you, if you, the, the syndicators, if you need to know more, they will probably give you the information because yeah. they want your money. <laughs> they want you to invest with <laughs> they them. They want you to invest with them and they want you to invest with them over and over and over again. And yeah. if you pay a bunch of money and probably don't have a good experience, it's, you know, that's, you know, there are people out there that do mentor in syndication, but it's typically they're mentoring on to, to people who want to start syndications or, be someone who brings in investors to a syndication. And so it's not, it's, it's a, a different thing. Yeah. We right. Can, <laughs> we can refer you out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Yeah, we'll talk offline. <laughs> okay. So now you, you are helping other aspiring investors uh, find vacation rentals uh, through your site, the short term shop. Can you talk to us about how you're able to help potential owners acquire and succeed in this space? Yeah, absolutely. So we're a real estate team. So we're all agents. I have an office in the Smokies and then also in the Florida Panhandle, Destin, Panama City Beach area. And so what we do for our buyers is obviously we'll help them source and get under contract on a property. And then we will get them trained up on how to run their short-term rental. We'll help them get their Airbnb and VRBO listing looking the way that it needs to. We'll help them learn how to use the automation tools. And we also get them set up with all the vendors that they need to be able to successfully manage remotely from anywhere. That's awesome. It's really helpful to to have all of that set up. And like we're experienced as far as short-term rental, like the the basics, but we don't know your market. So having someone there to say, okay, here's some cleaners or handymen, et cetera, that, that we already are comfortable with and, and helping with that would be um, a huge benefit. Yeah. Yeah. We, and we found most of the time people are very appreciative of that because a lot of times cleaners and handymen, they're not, you know, they don't make websites for themselves. So it's not, they're not vendors a lot of times that people are able to find from a distance. So we like to, to bridge that gap for our clients. Gotcha. Last question on that subject. What is it that you look for in a good cleaner? Well, to be honest with you, a lot of them in these markets where there have been short-term rentals since the 70s, a lot of them came from working for big property management companies. And they all do have roughly the same checklist and do the same job. It's really more of a personality fit than anything. Like I fired a cleaner before that my best friend still uses because I didn't like the way I was having to manage her and the way she was doing business with me. Whereas my friend was like, well, she gets the cabin clean. I don't care. So it's really, it's really more of a personality fit than anything. So um, what does a day in the life look like for you? Maybe just as far as like, running your properties, but, you know, also as a business owner, maybe a little bit of both, but, you know, we're usually looking at this in the vein of someone who wants to do the investing side. I will keep my real estate sales side out of it. Then. Yeah. <laughs> so really it's just, it's kind of like answering a couple text messages a day. We have the, we both have the Airbnb and VRBO app downloaded on our phones so that we get notifications anytime anyone reaches out on those platforms and I'll probably get five, six notifications a day and we'll respond accordingly and go on about our day. It's rarely ever that somebody is calling because they're having a problem or something broke or anything like that. I know a lot of people are hesitant to invest in short-term rentals because they quote, they all say this, I don't want to have to wake up in the middle of the night and answer phone calls. And you don't really, that's uh, a limiting belief about investing in short-term it really is just answering text messages a few times a day. Yeah. I feel like, I mean, we've never had any of those either. The like, like a late night call or anything. Most people are pretty understanding that you're not going to magically appear 
and and most problems are not going to be needed to they don't need to be addressed at three o'clock in the morning and can probably happen when when you're available. And I guess if I was staying somewhere and something really huge was happening, like a pipe was just going crazy leaking and I couldn't get a hold of someone, then, you know, I don't know, I maybe find someone else and try and get reimbursed from the owner. I feel like there's there's options and they happen so rarely, if at all, that it it's it is. It's a limiting belief that doesn't really make sense. I think you're probably gonna have that issue more with a long term rental. Yeah, yeah. And I think another limiting belief is a their, uh, their place is going to get worn out from so many people going in and out. But I feel the opposite in my experience. My places are getting cleaned professionally two, sometimes three times a week where of my long-term rentals, they're in there doing God knows what until next year. And they may be renting from me for 10 years before I know what's going on in there. So yeah. uh, I, I like that somebody's in there and checking things out a few times a week. Yeah. And typically when you have a short-term rental, you're doing your best to have the furnishings or, you know, the, the flooring or whatever work well for a lot of traffic. If you're able to switch those out. I mean, we had carpet for a really long time and then it started to get really gross. And so when it was time to replace it, we put in luxury vinyl planking and that will be easier to clean and we'll have less wear and, you know, like things like that, where you make it so that it's, it's so if there is any downside, that you're kind of mitigating that. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, it's funny. We had, I think in the six years that we've been managing our short-term rental, we've had one incident and it was completely our fault when we first moved over. I think Airbnb had a sort of developed a system where a guest could essentially self check in. And the idea was that they would get the guest would basically go on their phone and they would hit the button. It would send them all the information to check in and in our case, our, you know, we just have a, a lock box outside the door. We're not able to do a, a keypad code. And we had, we just assumed that was working. And the guests arrived at like after midnight and they couldn't access the unit. And they tried calling us. Uh, they tried contacting us and they eventually just had to go down the street and get a hotel. And we felt so bad. It was so, it was just mortifying. And we apologized up and down. We paid for their hotel. I think we gave them half off the rest of the other. I think they were staying with us for another two days and we gave them half off for, you know, and then we, you know, and then we figured out ways to mitigate that in the future. Mistakes happen. Although our property is right in front of our house. They could have knocked on the door. Yeah. Avery, thank you so much for your time. If any of our guests uh, want to get in touch with you, what would be the best way for them to do so? My email is on my website at theshorttermshop.com and they can get me at info at theshorttermshop.com. Okay. That's great. Well, it was awesome talking to you. Yes. Thank you guys so much for having me. All right. Thanks, Avery. Have a good one. All right. Bye, guys. Okay. That was Avery Carl from The Short Term Shop. That was a fun interview. It was. No, it's always, we always love talking to other vacation rental operators. It's <laughs> sort of a selfish, a little bit of a selfish kibitz and complain about, you know, the business uh, a little bit. But yeah. Yeah. It's well, then it's always, you always get like something that you can then use on your, yeah. your short term rentals or future rentals. So it's a, it's always fun to talk to them. And I think for a lot of people right now, it's an interesting market. It's, it's one that people feel like, is worth getting into or that there there's more excitement about it. So yes. it's always nice to have a guest talk to you. Was there a key lesson learned for you? I think with her, I, I guess not necessarily a lesson, but I just found it interesting that they've managed to build a huge, quite a large portfolio pretty minimally as far as like how they're doing it. And I guess it just goes to show that you can, you can get pretty creative with real estate and how you finance it, you know, they've used a, a HELOC, they've, you know, partnered, they've done vacation rental loans where they're, you know, doing a smaller down payment. You know, there's, there's a lot of ways. And then they're also using a market that a lot of people don't actually like to invest in. Like I said, in the interview with low income places, we've, we've had a lot of, not a lot, but we've had several interviews where people have talked about that that was a mistake they made early on was buying in a lower income place and having that be a problem for them. 
And so, you know, it's, and for her, they were, they're able to figure out how to like make that work for them by putting new tenants in that are low income, but responsibly, you know, like responsible people who are the people that you would rent to, whether they are low income or higher income family, it doesn't matter. They're just looking for this, the right type of person. So I just found that interesting for the, the variety of what they've gone for and how they've done it. How about you? For me, it was, um, don't let your limiting beliefs about vacation rentals stop you from investing in them. You know, a lot of people think that it's just going to, you're going to be completely overwhelmed with having work to do that. You have to clean the units yourself. You're going to have to answer the phone in the middle of the night. You're going to, you know, they're going to trash your place and things like this. A lot of limiting beliefs that people have about this, um, this asset class. And Brittany and I are speaking from experience. It is more work than long-term rentals, but not much. (laughs) I think that it's the same. I mean, really, because you have to set up management and you can do that on your own or not. But like if someone's managing my property, I'm still probably checking in with them and dealing with things. And the things I'm dealing with are overall probably the same amount of time. It's just a long term rental. You're going to have the issues probably squished into like one like a tighter time period, like an issue with uh, someone moving out or, you know, whatever. That time is just spread out with short-term rentals. You're doing 15, 20 minutes a day. If that, you know, you you might have one issue. So if you're not running, like if you're not doing your turnovers yourself, you're using the apps to your advantage, you're, you've got integrations and all those things, you really, you really don't have a lot of time that you're putting into it except for maybe at the front but I just I feel like with long-term rentals you're you're getting that anyways it's just people feel more comfortable somehow because it's like one person or one family yeah but I I would say that it's almost easier in a lot of ways once it's set up you you don't have to do any big like okay this person's been there for a year now we have to like redo the all the floors and you know paint things or whatever so anyway i I would say the the main thing to consider is that you are going to get the phone call Mm. unless 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 you are unless you've farmed out you know unless you have a property uh either a vacation or property owner or or property manager a long-term manager um which you know which you can do there are people who do vacation rental property management and uh well and it doesn't have to be like a company that's a long you know that is typically like a long-term rental property manager I and mean, we can't remember his name the guy who has rentals in kill double mike hamilton mike hamilton if i remember correctly i believe it was him he has sort of a uh i can't operations remember what, an manager. operations manager mm-hmm. you know and that's something that if you know, if we had several properties in, and it's if we bought properties in the Smoky Mountains, we would have to find a way to have that happen because we can't be answering those questions. It's a different time zone and it's a very different place. But that's what is, you know, we can answer the like easy questions on the app. But as far as the big stuff, it's really you have to have someone if it's not where you're living. Yeah. So. I guess we can skip down to, is this a location? <laughs> uh, can you do this anywhere from the world? <laughs> and the answer is probably, yes. as long as you have teams in place, teams boots in place. on the ground and systems. So. Yeah. So, which we've talked about many times, yep. with several owners. Uh, was there a key piece of knowledge that, uh, that she had to acquire before she started? She thought, well, she talked about, you know, kind of the go with the flow, just figure it out sort of attitude that she had to acquire. Knowledge-wise, they sort of just jumped in and figured it out. Yeah, which uh, was kind of our experience with short-term yeah. as well. And Yeah, um, you, you look stuff up online, yeah. you know, whatever, and figure uh, it out. And my, and my, our advice would be if you're going to go down this road, if you're, you know, if you've got the means to buy something big, hire an expert like, uh, like Avery to walk you through the setup process. If you're starting small, if you've got like a little guest house at the front of your home, you know, you can, you can figure it out on your own. It's not, it's not that hard. You don't need a coach. But yeah. You can find a lot of articles online. You could yeah. listen to the numerous other 
episodes that we have with yeah. short-term rental <laughs> owners that would probably give you some good hints. And obviously we talked about another podcast episode from a different podcast that we both listened to that talked about just linens for for an entire interview. So there's a lot of information out there that you can find. And most of it is probably even more than you need to yep. have. So, gotcha. Okay, money. How much money did it take for them to get started? She said it was about twenty one thousand uh, yeah, dollars. It was, was about seven thousand five hundred for uh, the down payment. They were seventeen thousand five hundred. Seventeen thousand five hundred because they used a ten percent vacation yeah. rental yeah. loan. Uh, and then she said spent another three thousand dollars, kind of sprucing it up, and it was already mostly yeah. furnished at the time. Yeah, which is nice. Yeah, uh, it was definitely something that I never really thought about. That if you're in a, a established vacation rental market and you're buying a vacation rental that it's probably been a vacation rental and you probably won't have to do a lot of <laughs> furnishing unless you're trying to really upgrade it and yep. make it uh, fun- make it function at a higher level or sort of have a better cash flow. So, Okay, time. How much time does she spend per day on her short-term rental endeavors? A few text messages slash answering questions. And again, if you have like your automatic messaging setup or your, you know, you know, we have saved messages on Airbnb that we can respond to people immediately. Those kinds of things. Because you typically get a lot of the same questions. Do you allow pets? Uh, you know, how do we operate the TV? You know, you get those same, uh, and you very quickly come up with the frequently asked questions and it's pretty easy to just shoot off an email and explain to them, you know, how far are you from the airport? Things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Again, these are all also in the listing. Yes. <laughs> but Look people at the don't listing. read. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Right. Awesome. Well, that was Avery Carl from the shorttermshop.com. If you're if you have an interest in purchasing a short-term rental in either the Tennessee, Gatlinburg, uh, Smoky Mountains area or now in the Destin, Florida market, look her up. Awesome. All right, let's hit the road. Bye. And if you like this podcast, we would really appreciate it if you take just a few minutes and leave a review for us on iTunes. It's really simple to do. Just go to roadtofamilyfreedom.com slash review for links and instructions. Thanks for listening. We're doing this all again next week. Until then, safe travels.